0: Hey fellow travelers, this is Monty and welcome to episode number 12. Hey, I am uh, really excited about the conversation today. We're going to be looking at how patriarchy is not God's dream. I'll be uploading a, uh, a talk that I did at Snoqualmie Valley Alliance Church on this idea, as we're going to be spending some weeks dealing with gender inequality. A couple of the highlights uh, in this message today is we're gonna go back and we're gonna be looking at particularly Genesis one and two and Genesis three. Also, I have a special guest uh, with me that uh, I interview towards the end of the the teaching and her name is Susan Chavez. She is the executive pastor at Snoqualmie Valley Alliance. And uh, she has been on a journey of her own. So she will be interacting with me towards the end of the message. Hey, in the weeks ahead, though, I'm also going to be covering some topics such as uh, in the Old Testament, in light of the fact that uh, God elevated women to leadership roles, so was God wrong? Did God break his own rules uh, in the Old Testament? We'll also be doing an episode on Jesus and the empowerment of women, how Jesus was a, a pivotal uh, historical game changer for this entire conversation. We'll also be looking at Paul's role uh, and Paul and women, and we'll be looking at the two verses that the church just gets stuck on that they really don't need to get stuck on. Um, and then we'll be looking for a better way forward um, as we as we end this, this uh, particular series in the weeks ahead. So I hope uh, you are ready to dig in. And if you are, sit back, relax, because here we go with Patriarchy is Not God's Dream. Oh, top of the morning. Are you guys ready? How are you feeling today? Really good? Good. We, um... We're going to pray uh, before we dig in. Uh, I've been working on today's conversation, our final conversation in the Ripple series for for a while. Uh, I hit a lot of it while I was in Uganda, while I was uh, alone on that trip doing some work. So I had a lot of nights to work through. Uh, like when we discussed a few weeks back looking at making ripples in terms of hashtag blue lives matters and hashtag black lives matters. Um, I'm gonna give you the same kind of a setup this morning that uh, where I want to take us might make you a little uncomfortable and where I want to take us is in in an area uh, that affects half of the world and therefore I want to I want to tread very humbly um, and, and, and very carefully through this, there's be many opportunities for you to assume I said something I might not have said. Uh, we can do our own takeaways depending on where we're at with the issue this morning. So I just ask for your grace uh, in the room. I'm pretty excited to walk through this conversation, because it's powerful and can bring a lot of freedom to a lot of people. Um, so, I'm just going to pray. So, if you guys would just pause, close your eyes. All right, big breath in. Ready? Breathe it in, hold it, and let it out. Holy Spirit, as we uh, breathe you in, we ask that our lives would be so affected by you and your love that we would breathe out grace everywhere that we go. We uh, thank you, God, that you are here in this space with us. We ask that you would make it holy. We ask that your presence would manifest itself. We ask that you would stretch us and that you would grow us, and most importantly, that we would make choices and decisions to become more and more like you with every breath that we take. So this morning, I pray uh, that the words that come out of my mouth would, again, be a reflection of. Of heaven, and uh, you would just edit anything uh, out of me that doesn't need to be here today so that your word speaks and that your presence is known. We love you, and we need you. So come, Holy Spirit. We welcome you, because we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody say it. Amen. Amen. Our key verse for the year is Matthew 6, 9 through 10. Read with me. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that this is Our obligation, this is our missional mandate, if we are followers of Jesus, to live in such a way and to work in such a way that the kingdom of heaven is manifest here on earth with everything that we do. Therefore, as followers of Jesus, when we see things that are not heavenly, that's our cue that God would like to do some work in these areas. Nelson Mandela noted that as long as poverty, injustice, and gross inequality persists in our world, none of us can truly rest. I don't know if that has hit you yet. This hit me years ago. I have a a hard time slowing or stopping until everyone gets to experience the same kind of kingdom that I've experienced. I I think Nelson was right. As long as these evidences, not of the kingdom of heaven, but of the kingdom of earth exist, uh, we can't rest. And we need and should keep pushing on. Isaiah puts it this way in chapter one Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Over and over we see throughout Scripture God's heart is to end injustice, To right all the wrongs. To flip right side up that which sin and darkness has flipped upside down. You see, he is about justice and love and i look at love and justice as two sides really of the same coin god's justice and god's love are wed they bring about creation and new creation god's love and justice brings about shalom peace and flourishing Anywhere we are moving, if we aren't bringing about creation and new creation, if we aren't bringing about shalom and flourishing, if we're doing anything that would create the opposite, then that isn't God's design. This morning, one of the areas that we want to wrap with is this. While there are many areas of injustice globally, One area that is linked to so many other issues of injustice around the world is gender inequality. Um, I was having a conversation uh, with a couple that I had never even met before at a restaurant in Uganda when they found out I was a pastor, and she was saying, could you please explain to my husband why I need to work? And I said, hi, I'm Monty. (laughs) (laughs) My job is a funny job. I will just tell you this, you know, all I wanted was a Coke Zero, Uh, (laughs) you know, and I'm right in the middle of it. She goes, and I said, you know, pardon me, well, well, he won't work, and we can't eat, and so I have to to work to feed the kids, but he doesn't want me to work because he feels if I work, then I'll be empowered to live without him. Well, welcome to McDonald's, right? You know, conversation about equality, particularly in marriage. That actually is an issue globally. One of the reasons we do microloans for women in third world countries is because the men historically spend the money on tobacco and alcohol. The women, when they make... A small fraction, it supports their family. So when we work in some of those areas with microloans, it goes to women. But when women are looked at as, as second-class citizens, evil and injustice and brutality is in their wake. This is an issue, men, that you can't shy away from. We can't shy away from this issue because we are a part of the source of the problem. The hashtag uh, I want to look at this morning is uh, he, uh, "Me Too" and "Church Too." When this erupted, it erupted. big. Uh, "MeToo" actually come, came 10 years after an African-American woman launched a, a, a very similar "MeToo hashtag. But then we saw this one tweet one day from Alyssa Milano, if you remember. And uh, it it was suggested by a friend, if all the women who have been sexually harassed or assaulted wrote Me Too as a status, we might give people a sense of the magnitude of the problem. So she said, if you've ever been sexually harassed or assaulted, write Me Too as a reply to this tweet. Within minutes, thousands of women chimed in on social media. Some simply tweeted Me Too, others told in detail the sexual violence they'd experienced. By the time Milano's tweet was 24 hours old, Me Too had appeared nearly 1 million times on Twitter and in 12 million posts and replies on Facebook. This took so many people, and I will say so many men by surprise, I was like, well, she's my friend. I didn't know that. When we have an eruption that large, it's because there's something systemic that's happening in the world, that there's a voice that hasn't been heard. So as we begin first, I would just like to say, if, if you were a part of the Me Too or the church too, tribe, if you have been abused or raped or wounded by a man or by the church and into church too, what had happened and is still happening, I don't know if you've seen one of the largest denomination right now, conservative, where they have over 320 accounts of sexual abuse by male pastors to women. This is a man problem that brought about church two. And then, what church two has done, and what we've seen in this one denomination, is that they covered it up. The Catholic Church has taken a lot of heat for their cover ups, the Protestant Church has covered up as much. If that's you, I am sorry. Obviously, not God's intent. Obviously a misuse of power and privilege. And when we cover it up in the church, because a leader did it or an elder did it in the church or a pastor did it in the church, it's even more egregious. I have heard and prayed with folks over the years, story after story, how this happened in the church too. This should cause us to pause and to look. Um, LifeWire, which used to be called Eastside Domestic Violence, um, a few of the stats uh, from their website, more than one in four women, 27%, and more than one in nine men, 11%, have experienced sexual violence, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner and suffered significant impacts such as PTSD or injury as a result. That's high. Just think about what's in the room now, if that should make it real that there are many in the room that are part of this, right? On average, 20 people per minute experience rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner in the U.S. That's more than 10 million women and men uh, over the course of one year. Over half, 55% of all female homicide victims are killed by intimate partners. The presence of a gun in domestic violence situation increases the risk of homicide for women by 500%. Between 94 to 99% of domestic violence survivors experienced financial abuse. This is when the spouse utilizes money to control. That was what was kind of happening in the Uganda situation. and We would call that financial Abuse when you don't get a credit card and you don't get to spend because you are being trapped in that house Domestic uh, violence survivors lose a total of nearly 8 million days of paid work or the equivalent of more than 32,000 full-time jobs because of the abuse The cost of intimate partner rape, physical assault, and stalking exceeds $5.8 billion each year, nearly $4.1 billion of which is spent on medical and mental health care. 1 in 15 kids is exposed to intimate partner violence every year, and 90% of these children are eyewitnesses to this violence. 1.5 million high school students nationwide experience physical abuse from a dating partner in a single year. One in three adolescents in the U.S. are experiencing physical, sexual, emotional, or verbal abuse from a dating partner. More than one-third of domestic violence survivors become homeless immediately after separating from their partner. Homelessness is such a complicated issue. By the age 12, 83% of homeless children have been exposed to at least one serious violent act, event, and nearly 25% have witnessed acts of violence within their families. We talk a lot in our community about ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. These are ACEs that add up, just setting a future that is dismal for any child that experiences this. Approximately 50% of all women who are homeless report that domestic violence was the immediate cause of their homelessness. So there's something underneath all of this. There's something at work in the world. I would say it's a systemic issue that we have tried to theologize and it's an issue that simply has been. Sarah Jesse um, puts it, or excuse me, Sarah Bethy uh, puts it this way in one of her Instagram posts last week. Patriarchy is not God's dream for humanity. I want to let that hit you for a moment. Most all of these violent acts, most of all these things happen because of a patriarchal system in our world that unfortunately has also been propositioned and taught from the platforms of churches. I'm going to show you this morning that it's not God's dream. In fact, it's a part of the curse of Genesis chapter 3. Why we fight for Genesis chapter 3 and the curse and the pain and the evil and the abuse that has been a result of patriarchy, I have no idea. But it's one that I believe we need to address. This is one for us to step into. Because of these type of patriarchal systems, on a global level, women face more obstacles than men in all labor markets. They receive lower wages for the same work, dominate uh, in the informal economy, and have less access to credit, land time, education, and other productive resources. In most parts of the world, poor women do the caring, feeding, and cleaning for the family treating for the sick and dying, particularly in this era of HIV and AIDS, as well as earning small amounts of cash through labor-intensive activities. As farmers, workers, heads of households, and community leaders, they make productive and essential contributions to their community and country. As such, poverty eradication strategies must see women as active agents and not intrinsically vulnerable. For if women are vulnerable, it is only because they have been made vulnerable legally, economically, culturally, sexually, and structurally for centuries. And you tracking with me so far? You're quiet. <laughs> so... One night in Uganda when I was praying over this, I'm just going to read to you what I wrote um, as my intro thoughts to our conversation today. Because patriarchy is just something that has been assumed. And sometimes when something is assumed and it's just the way things are, we don't see what lurks beneath Um, We uh, staff had a great uh, race and equity training for about three hours on Monday and uh, one of the one of the things that we practiced right off the bat was a systems theory live experience which was actually crazy fun Um, but at the end of this thing that we did we all landed our facilitator said this no system is ever broke. The system that exists delivers exactly what the system is designed to deliver. No system is broken. We talk about, hey, we need to fix the broken system. No, the system is delivering what we have designed it to deliver. The patriarchal system is delivering what it has been designed to deliver. And that is the elevation of men and the de-elevation of women. So as we step into the text of this morning, I really hope you see that in a, a beautiful way that helps you unleash the girls and the women in your life in a new way. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I wrote in Uganda, patriarchy is a loaded word. For millennia, it has simply been the power system creating the way things are or the way things we thought God wanted them to be. That's easy to say when you're a guy. As we have devastatingly used the Bible to keep people of color enslaved in our history, we have also wrongly used the Bible to keep women in subjugation to men, less than, property of. An unhealthy patriarchy has been running the world for a long time. This has created tension, anger, hurt, and pain, and uncountable abuses. Me Too is a response to this. Church Too tells the story of countless women who have been told to be quiet or even submit to their husbands even though they are being abused, raped, dehumanized, and emotionally reduced to human rubble, all in the name of the Bible all by men who held the power and the theological reins. Movements erupt when voices are silenced. Suffrage was an eruption. The sexual revolution was an eruption. The ERA was an eruption. The feminist movement was an eruption. The battle over reproductive rights was an eruption. So think with me, all these eruptions were launched by a silenced female voice to an overreached patriarchy hear me, see me, notice me. What pains me is that the church has been complicit, missing the truth that God has been leading us towards a different heavenly ideal since the beginning. Heaven has not been a reality on earth for women for too long. Unfortunately, some, in order to keep their biblical interpretation, have been a part of the problem. God's desire for the church is that she would be the freeing, equalizing, unifying solution to the divisions, levels, and labels that have been applied to women, flowing from tilted power structures and an inadequate reading of sacred texts. So I want to go back, I want to take us back to Genesis, and I'll just tell you now, I know I'm not going to get through the message today, so um, I'm going to get as far as I can, and then what I might do is just film the rest of my message and post it for you this week, because I can't tell you how much I've edited, so Genesis, Genesis 126, then God said, let us make human beings in our image first thing we need to correct in our mind when you hear the word adam in the beginning what do you think of adam a dude a male name adam does not mean a male ha adam the human Inside of Adam lived Eve. We find that in Genesis chapter 2, as Eve is pulled from Adam. It really means like being from the dirt. That's what Adam means in Hebrew. So in the beginning... God said, let us make beings from the dirt. <laughs> that should, like, humble us a little. <laughs> but let us make them in our image and in our likeness. And then let them rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the tame animals, over all of the earth, and over all the small crawlings, uh, crawling animals on the earth. God has in his mind the creation of male and female. That would, in Hebrew, be ish. And Isha, Ish, and Isha, male and female. And in Genesis chapter one, there there is no hierarchy that that the Ish, the male, is higher and more important than the Isha, the female. They are partners. They both rule. They both reign. Genesis chapter one and two, you will be hard-pressed to find anything of male authority. In either chapter, it does not happen until chapter 3, which we're going to get to in just a little bit. So we have God saying, let us make human beings in our image and our likeness. One more just quick side note on this. We should also know that in Western Christianity, what we really have come to think of God as is a white dude in the sky. God is neither male nor female. In the scriptures, God reveals his female attributes and male attributes. God is both. Jesus also reveals some matronly moves. It takes male and female to reflect the image of God, not just male. Without female, God is not fully reflected. That's why male and female together, the unity of husband and wife, best reflect Trinity. All of the attributes now are on display. In verse 27, so God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them. He created them male, and he created them female. So God created human beings in his image In the image of God, he created them. He created them male and female. So we we have this creation. And he gives them dominion and stewardship and authority over the earth. Now, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 tell the same story from two different perspectives. Have you ever noticed that? I've had a lot of people over the years going, it seems like we have two creation account stories. Kind of. In Genesis 1, you kind of get right to it. It's the bullet point version. In Genesis chapter 2, the poem that we have there about creation goes a little deeper. It fills in more story about what was happening behind the bullet point creation. But what we do know from Genesis chapter 1 is that it was God's initiative in creating humanity. Male and female, he created us to reflect the fullness of God in male and female. And at the end it says... And it was very good. Everything was good except for the creation of you all. You were very good. As we take a skip to Genesis chapter 2, before Isha was formed, God had created the dirt being... (laughs) And Adam had named a couple things we read in the verses right before this. And it says that God, God knew that it was not good for Adam, the being, to be alone. So he names some animals, but the animals weren't companions. Because he started with a cat. And it just went downhill from. Just went downhill from there. Should have started with the dog. She started with the dog. <laughs> it's, it's interesting this list. Uh, oh, so these things, and Adam is, is is naming them, but it wasn't right. So I will make a helper who is right for him. This word has also under patriarchy just. Been abused under a patriarchal lens, and I used to have them. We look, oh, God made God made him a little helper. She can cook, she can clean, she can keep the place. You know, she can get all that, and, and really, you know, she can take care of him and help him because he has important things to do. The Hebrew word is is a uh, hazer. Moses named one of his sons Eliezer, which means the strength of God. This term, Azer, is also used 16 times for God himself. The power of God needed to overcome and successfully win an encounter. Adam was insufficient on his own. It's not that Adam finally got help, Adam got an equal. So much so that the equal gets the title that God Himself has over and over and over. The helper of Israel, the helper of Moses. I had one note. Hazer describes aspects of God's character, His strength. He is our rescuer, our protector, our help. And this word, hazer, was the Holy Spirit's choice of word to describe the first woman. Eve was someone who would provide valuable and vital strength to Adam. As we continue on in the story, so man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become One body. This is when we start to move into the first time to see the words ish for man and isha for woman. We move away from ha'adam and we move into actual designations now. What's interesting here, this is an anti patriarchal verse. Patriarchal system would be uh, not that the man separates and unites with his isha, his woman. No, the Isha had to move towards the man in a patriarchal system. Right here is your first hint that God is doing everything different when He looks at relationships, because God knows what's going to happen in our world. Now, Adam and Eve, as they are naming and leading and stewarding and growing, uh, we know they come to the deception. In chapter 3, Satan has potentially the pomegranate from the wrong tree. Eve is deceived. Adam is sitting next to her. And he willfully takes both sin. And we have this fall. And because of the fall and because of this choice that um, God's vision for how we should live in chapter 1 and 2, we're going to throw that away, we have some curses. There's a curse on the snake, there's a curse on the woman, in a sense, and then there's a curse on the man. In other words, here are potential outcomes because of the choice that you made. To the woman, I will greatly increase your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall what? Now we have patriarchy. Got it? This is new into the text. If it was already there, he wouldn't have had to say that. For the man, it's, man, work is really going to suck for you. You're going to... Till the soil it's going to produce nothing. And you're going to work so hard, so hard. It is, and it, what's interesting to me is throughout the years, we've had no problem saying, how can we help reduce the pain in childbearing for women? Can I have a hallelujah for epidurals in the room? Uh, you know, how, you know, so... <laughs> And for men, how hard have you worked to work less so you have more time for your family? So for some reason, we don't see trying to eliminate some of this negativity in some of these areas, but then whatever reason, we said, but yeah, but uh, women need to be under the guy. Let's not change this one. And this becomes a system, a power structure in the world which is responsible for so much of the eruption that we see and the and the inequality the that we see between men and women in the world today women did not even get the vote in the US until what 1921 property women in England got it in 1918 you had to have property though if you're a woman Ireland came right after, a year or so, right after the U.S. That is not that long ago. Not that long ago. Power, patriarchy, and poor interpretation, I believe are culprits disempowering and abusing half of the world's population. They are major systemic issues causing pain, poverty, and injustice planet-wide. When we empower women, we reduce global poverty and we move closer to God's ideal of oneness because that's where this is going. Paul says in Romans 12, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Pattern of this world in the Greek means the systems of this world. What do you think one of the systems of this world is? patriarchy. It's not God's dream. It's part of the curse. Do not conform to the power structures, the philosophies. It also means the Greek age, the Greek way of thinking, and Paul was saying, these systems. But be transformed by thinking different. That's my goal today. Because some of you, you just grew up in a real traditional household and everything was good and that and that's that's all fine but when we when we take a step back and realize that there is a system or an evil like racism at work in the world we need to do something about it when we see that there's a system like patriarchy that is sheltering abuse and Elevating some and and pushing down others, that's something the church needs to step up and speak out about so that it doesn't happen again. I don't want to see any more of our mothers, grandmothers, and daughters abused in the name of the Bible again. Then, we renew our mind. We change the way we think about the patterns and the power structures that the world offers. We change our mind about those things. Then we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, and then we can hear. But when we are buying into those power structures of the world, rather than the oneness of Christ, we miss something. You with me so far? All right, so question. (laughs) Are you choosing to live under the curse of Genesis 3? Well, that's just the way it is. Or, the freedom found in Jesus, which reclaims the Eden of chapters 1 and 2. Husbands and wives. Before Paul goes into roles in the book of Ephesians, he says, husbands and wives mutually submit to one another. That's Genesis 1 and 2. Co-equality. Partnership. Uh, I'm going to uh, pause here because I'm going to invite... Susan Chavez to have a little conversation with me for a moment, so would you just put your hands together and welcome Susan to the platform. Now that the intros to the message is done for you all, you know, (laughs) you guys still with me? I, I want this to be a freeing thing. For, for, some, for some of us, when we've just been in a system and, and when it starts to get shook a little, it's disorienting. But that's, that's okay. Jesus disoriented everybody he talked to. And, so, and this is one of the issues and one of the areas that Jesus did a lot of disorienting work in was the way he treated and had disciples that were not only men, but for the first time ever, women. So Susan is our executive pastor here at uh, Snoqualmie Valley Alliance, and uh, she, as she has come in, we've, uh, we've been able, Emily's been able to retake the reins of our outreach, local and global again, and so Susan has come in to help us with all of these areas, so she is serving as our executive pastor, and so I just wanted to talk to you about this journey because mm-hmm. um, it's, uh, for, some, for some of you, this is a no-brainer, and I know that. And for many people out there, it's a no-brainer. This is not the first time you've heard a message like this from me. Uh, but for some others, it, it is newer. Mm-hmm. And so I was going to ask you first, can you just tell me, about, tell me about your journey growing up? Because as I've got to know Susan, Susan has always had a call on her life to lead. Mm-hmm. And so, and that wasn't able to be expressed sometimes. Right. So tell me. Right. Yeah, was it was a, kind a of picture? interesting trying to write,
1: uh, I figured, 46 years i've been <laughs> wrestling with this topic and so in two pages 46 years it's uh, it was funny um, <laughs> and i don't know why i really don't know why um i became so aware of this system of sexism and gender inequality at a very young age and it was just heavy on my heart from the age of probably nine or ten when I began questioning all these arbitrary rules that governed my life. And I was really bitter and envious of of the boys' freedom, that they just had so much freedom to do and be who they were. And I had all these constraints on my life, Mm. um, as simply as I had to wear a dress (laughs) in December, in January, in February to school. (laughs) You know, and it's below freezing in eastern Washington, but I had to wear a dress. It wouldn't be right for me to wear pants to school or to a football game or to a basketball game. Who would come up with such an idea that that would be beneficial? Um, And so that began it. That was really part of, well, this is just not right. And I can remember asking my mom in a rather not very respectful way. Um, <laughs> when she was serving my brothers, There's six of us, and I was the fifth girl, and observing this, I'm like, Mom, is his legs painted on? I mean, really, let the boy take care of himself. So I pushed all the way from about nine, ten years old, and um, it's one of those things that I very passionate about. And um, unfortunately, most common, when men are speaking intensely about something, they say, he has a passion. And when women speak intensely about something, she's angry. (laughs) Or has an agenda. Or has an agenda. (laughs) And I just want you to know, I'm going to speak intensely. (laughs) But I'm not angry. God has worked on me for over 30 years to get to where I'm at today. Um, But I am quite passionate. Um, And so, let me start with page one in that journey. Um, When I actually left high school during my mid-sophomore year. I went and I left my school, I left my parents, and I moved to a different city and lived with my sister's mother-in-law, who was the head of an English department, in order to be in an academic environment that did not surround completely around boys' sports. Mm. I'm from a small country school, And my options were to cheer, or drill team, or pep band. And that was it. And um, those didn't satisfy me. And so I went to a large school, lost myself. Nobody knew who I was. Nobody cared who I was. I was so happy. And I dove into the theater department and the journalism department and um, found some space. And mm. uh, since the age of 10, I've been in theater because I could get on that stage and I could be whoever I wanted to be. I could say what I really thought. I could mm. do things that wouldn't be allowed off that <laughs> stage and I didn't suffer any of the social mm-hmm. flack yeah. from being that person. Um, my whole life, I've had a comment that I would hear and it would be, yeah, you know, I, I, why does she always have to be so intense? <laughs> I don't know. It, it's how I'm wired. It's who I am. I'm not, I'm not soft fuzzies and warm fuzzies. I don't do crafts. <laughs> I don't cook. I hate to shop, and, and how does that woman fit in yeah. the church? Yeah. Then, it's getting better today, then I looked at yeah. that church and thought, I went to a conservative church with my girlfriend and her family. My family didn't go to church, and at sixth grade she invited me, and that started the journey. But I didn't sing. I definitely don't sing. (laughs) I don't play piano. I've tried. And um, I don't teach Sunday school. So what was there for me to do in the church? And so um, I decided I wanted to be a Navy pilot so I could (laughs) land on carriers. Yes. (laughs) That's what you want all your daughters to do, right? (laughs) And uh, so I prepared for a year to take this exam in order to get into the ROTC, in order to get into flight training. And I worked really hard and um, get all my physics classes and all those math classes that I had been advised to avoid. As a girl, eh, you don't really need that. So I caught up, took the exam, and I had been told that in math, you needed a 75. In English, you needed an 80. So I took this exam, and I got a 98 in English, and I got a 78 in math. And I was just like, yes, I'm going <laughs> on an airplane. And uh, the Navy uh, representative came to the lunch room and met with me between classes. And he said, Susan, you can try again next year. I said, what, what, what are you talking about? I did it. I did it. And he said, oh, you must have misunderstood. Men can get in with a 75. Women need an 80. And there was no apology. Yeah. There was no embarrassment. There was no, it should change. So it was. And yeah. that was kind of the, um, you know, the emperor has no clothes on. And I could never see him fully clothed again. Mm-hmm. It was naked. This system, my dad has told me my whole life, you can do anything you want, Susan. I had super yeah. supportive father and parents. Yeah. You can do anything you want. And it goes back to that old teacher's saying, the English teachers, can I? And they say no, may you? <laughs> yes. I could do anything I wanted, but you may not.
0: Some lines. Some lines you just can't cross. Can't
1: cross. It was systemic. I couldn't cross it. So I politely told him where to put his core. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and went to college. And uh, I went, decided to go to out-of-state college. And so I needed a really good-paying job. And I lived in the Tri-Cities, and they were building whoops too. So my dad got his friend to call me up for the Carpenters Union so I could work on building that. $10 an hour in 1977. And so I got my steel boots and my long sleeves and my jeans and my hat and my... uh, Went to work and building this, whoops, too. And I got on the work site and there was a 15-minute walk from the parking lot to the work site. And every day, a man in probably mid-30s followed me right behind me, all the way there, and in the afternoon, all the way back. What do you think you're doing here? You don't belong here, little girl. This is a man's job. You're taking this money away from a hardworking man in order to support his family. And then a few expletives for 15 minutes to the job site, 15 minutes back. And then my coworker, because all men obviously, had a bet that I wasn't aware of, how long could they let me last? We have that bet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the top was two weeks. Yeah. And uh, so they would say, Hey, Susan, we're building a frame down in the hole. We need two four by sixes. Carry them down. So in 105 degree weather, I'd get the four by sixes and carry them down into the hole where they're working. And they'd get there and they'd say, what are you doing with those? Was you, you said, you, we don't need those, take them back. And um, I lasted three months. I lasted the summer. <laughs> I had my money and I went to Arizona <laughs> went to... to school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so those, you know, I don't have a story of physical violence. Yeah. Will the truth be told from 20 to 40, I think I scared most men. They looked at me and said, ah, "I'm not messing with her,"
0: because I was angry. And um, so, where did you find your outlet for leadership and for the way you were wired?
1: You know, first of all, uh, you know, I got married, had two children. We moved to Mexico, and in Mexico, it was almost giddy mm. for me that I had such power mm. and such freedom not because I was a woman, but because I was white, mm-hmm. blonde-eyed, blue, blue-eyed, blue blonde-haired American, yeah. and I had access and yeah. freedom, and oh, mm-hmm. it was wonderful for almost 10 years. Um, right or wrong, that was my experience. And when I came back, I thought, you know, I had I had a lot of really strong Christian women mentors mm-hmm. while I was in Mexico, and they, they questioned me, they pushed me. They, and I came back thinking, I want to use all these gifts mm. I, and a business experience in serving something greater than just my own achievement and enrichment. Yeah. I wanna serve um, God's kingdom and the building of his kingdom and, and to benefit his people yeah. and not a bottom line somewhere. Uh, I didn't find an opportunity. There really wasn't an opportunity for that kind of leadership in the church at that time. And um, I went to work for a corporation and eventually became vice president. And I had a fabulous CEO who empowered me every day. In fact, his biggest complaint about me was, Susan... Some days, you know, I feel really melancholy. I'd like you to be, can't you just be more choleric, more powerful on those days? <laughs> I know you have it in you. Step it up, just take power. Boy. And so that was an incredible feeling. And we built the number one company, a mid-sized company of a corporation out of 160 companies nationwide between the two of us and those 15 years. And, um, and then corporate started coming to our office and they visited. And one day, uh, we had a fabulous morning meeting. And then I had a lot of work to do. So the fellas went to lunch. And that night, afternoon, we were to continue our our decision-making. And we went to dinner. We got there. And there was just a, you know, the conversation, it happens to women a lot and to people of color. The conversation was and it's like, I'm invisible. There, whoosh, I was invisible. What happened? And the CEO looked at me and said, I'm sorry. We went to lunch. All the decisions are made. And um, that's the struggle. Yes, I was at the dinner. Yes, I was vice president. Yes, I was with the corporate senior vice president. And I had no voice it was Susan, would you like some dessert? Yeah. You know, well,
0: patronizing. And, that, and that's that's the structure in operation. That's the that's that patriarchal power structure in mm-hmm. operation. It creates a good old boys' club. Yeah. And for for women who working hard today, today still mm-hmm. right now, it's hard even if they get to those positions to still yes. break into that club. There's a closed there's a closed door that a patriarchal mindset has established right throughout not only our country, but it's global.
1: If you don't push that boundary,
0: yeah.
1: life's not bad. Yeah. You know, people who aren't wired like me, women who aren't wired like me, maybe you look at that and you go, I don't really know what you're complaining about. You're a vice president. Yeah, mm, yeah. yeah. but it's there, and yeah. if you push it, whew, it comes back real fast and hard. Yeah. Um, so then you preached, and you preached a message about six years ago. I thank God the day I came to SVA because that was the beginning of my, the redemption of my story. And um, today me sitting up here is a celebration. To have this conversation on the platform as executive pastor is a celebration. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so you preached and you preached on the curtain being torn from top to bottom, everyone has access, I am the priesthood.
0: priesthood of all believers.
1: And I, it just hit me, and I, afterwards we sang the song, I am free. And I'd sung it many times and thought, yeah, I'm free from the bondage of sin. This time, no, it was, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, you know, to be who I was created to be. And I came to you twice, three times. I said, Monty, this is what I understood. Is this what you meant? Yes. Tell me the verse again. Is this what you <laughs> meant? Yes. Wow. And I had been in the church since sixth grade. It was the first time I'd heard that message. And so I went to emotionally healthy spirituality and began dealing with all those nasty stories in the <laughs> back that I had lit resentment and bitterness come into my heart, and, um, and then I went to Sacred Space, mm-hmm. and God and I had a beautiful conversation, mm-hmm. and then um, uh, I was on the founding board of BIOS, yep. and I thought, okay, I'm going to start preparing, and so I started classes at BIOS so that I could prepare, <laughs> so that I could be an executive pastor, because I'd been 20 years as an executive operations in the corporate world. And it was my prayer to be able to put that experience to work for the kingdom. That's awesome. So nine years that was working on that dream and oh. I connived and I planned <laughs> I <connived>. and I, <laughs> manip- you know, to make it happen and it just didn't <laughs> happen. It didn't happen. Finally, my 60th birthday. And I had a f- jewel of a job best benefits I'd ever had, the most money I'd ever had, fabulous people, great work structure. (sighs) And I was miserable. And I said, okay, God, maybe this is your plan. I give up. Hmm. I just give up. I will work, and then I'll retire, and when I retire, I'll do what I wanted to do. Hmm. Two weeks later, I was on (laughs) staff at SVA. Yeah. So after I gave up, he said, all right, it's time. You're ready now. Yeah. You get it. Um, so men, man, give feet to the dreams of the women in your life because yeah. you have the power to do so. Yeah. Support them. My husband is the most supportive person in my life. He has cheerleaded me almost into embarrassment. <laughs> he will tell you how great I am. Um And that has made all the difference. Uh, Appreciate their gifts and skills. Don't demean them. Uh, Don't set those boundaries. Give them the opportunities they're looking for that God has created them to fulfill. And women, stop quieting your voice. Stop minimizing your presence. Stop trying to be not too much. We went to a marriage uh, seminar, Octavio and I, with Kristen and Dan Muma. And um, Dan Allender said, Look, women, I know you live most of your life holding back, because you know you are too much. <laughs> and if you lit it all out, it'd probably blow the guy away <laughs> that's next to you. And I thought, really? I thought I was the only one that was too much. I didn't know wow. that that was like for lots of women. Yeah. And that was, that was the other kind of just yeah. one key of freeing right yeah. there.
0: Well,
1: that's beautiful. So Aslan is in the move, yeah. and I'm just
0: moving with <laughs> oh, well, it. Thank- will you give Susan a hand? Thank you so much. You rock. I love you. I love you. Great job. <laughs> That is awesome. Um, I'm going to invite the worship team out. So you see like about 75 texts still on your outline, right? So um, we're going to move in we're going to move into we're going to move into uh, worship and communion. Um, as a Oh, I'm all the way back to the beginning. Hey, can you pop me to um, the Old Testament verses just really quick while the worship team is coming out, Jer? uh no like it's a list whole list of them yeah it's like halfway just to just to give you an an, an idea of where i'm going in this throughout the old testament there are, these are just some there are numerous occasions when god has a woman in authority and leadership over men or the entire nation we have Uh, Miriam uh, in Exodus and in Numbers, she's an executive leader. She inspires Moses. She's a worship leader and judges. Deborah is the judge, and she holds court under the tree, public leadership. She calls on a, a guy to help defeat a guy named Cicero, and Cicero is afraid he won't go to battle without her. And so she ends up actually not only being the judge but then leading the army. We have uh, right after that a gal named Yael. Uh, as Sisera is fleeing Deborah. Yael puts a tent peg through his head and ends his life. That's just a cool story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and in Judges 9, there's just like a woman, and this, this woman ends up uh, defeating a king, and, and the king's about to die, and he says his armor-bearer Put a sword through me first before the world knows that a woman killed me. That's patriarchy in action. The book of Esther, you can't get away from it. In Second Kings, there's a prophetess named Holda. And uh, Josiah becomes the king. And he is one of the good kings. And he recovers the law. And he goes, well, we need to reestablish the law. Get a prophet in here to speak to me where we should go. His five advisors go, oh, we'll go find Holda. They bring a woman in to advise the king. This is the same time when Jeremiah, the prophet, is in the city. Chose a woman. God seemed to be okay. When you look at these testaments, when you look at the Old Testament passages, here's the deal. If God is against women in leadership, then he's breaking his own rules. He's breaking his own rules. And Jesus broke them left and right, and Paul did too. We have two verses in the New Testament that get people all hung up. And when you only have two... Versus yet a whole story of moving us towards oneness We're missing something or we're misinterpreting what's happening in those two unique contexts And that would be for another day, but Jesus traveled with his disciples both men and women that's Luke 8 in Luke 10 Mary and Martha sit at his His feet Martha keeps busy Mary stays at his feet it was not lawful for a woman to sit at his feet to learn because that meant Jesus had accepted her as a disciple the Magna Carta for Paul is Galatians three twenty eight, and we've hit this one a lot in our church there is neither male nor female Greek nor Jew slave nor free to this day there's still a daily blessing in Judaism where a man stands and says thank you almighty one that you did not create me a slave a Gentile or a woman that is patriarchy patriarchy creates a system and it creates a structure where we have license to treat women horribly to abuse them to limit them And it is not God's design. Patriarchy is a part of the curse, not part of redemption. When Jesus went to the cross, it says he became a curse so that he could redeem us all. Which means he redeems us from the effects of the fall. And that means women, guess what? At the cross of Jesus, the ground is equal. For men, for women, for everyone. So as we move into worship um, and communion, I just I encourage you, maybe, maybe God disrupted the waters a little. That's okay. Maybe you haven't seen it that way before. That's, that's okay. This is how we learn and this is how we grow in a safe place where even if you're still wrestling with it, I would not expect one session with me to completely shift your grid on this. I pray that I have earned the right to be heard by you. Um, I have studied this more than most other doctrines because I've had to deal with this for over 30 years as a pastor. So I pray that you would would trust me in that. And if you continue to have questions, I have a plethora of resources. Um, And I will expand this message somehow, hopefully, this week. uh, on, in a video for you, just to see a little more. But to the women out there that have uh, been hurt by the church and have been hurt by a patriarchal system, from me to you, at least in the place of the church, I'm sorry we were wrong. We missed it. And I'm sorry that that happened in your life. Let's make a decision consciously, at least as the body of Christ represented at Snoqualmie Valley Lions, that as we move forward, We will honor and elevate the women, the daughters, the grandmothers, the aunts around us to their true equal biblical status. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, I hope that gave you something to think about. Hopefully it challenged some of your presuppositions uh, and most importantly will cause you to lean in and elevate and support the women in your lives. It's necessary and it's critical and now really is the time. I'd just like to say thanks for joining me today. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at MCWright. Also, you can catch up with me on Instagram at MCWright. And the same at Facebook uh, at MCWright. So I hope you have an amazing day. And we will catch you next week for the next installment in this series, which is, Did God Break His Own Rules? Have an amazing day.